You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome to Wise Guys, These Guys Know Sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network on this beautiful Tuesday, January the 17th, in the house with your boy Trey Larkers from the Wise Guys Sports Show. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at wiseguys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys at Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Happy belated Martin Luther King Day. I know Martin Luther King Day was yesterday, but happy belated Martin Luther King. Shout out to one of the greatest civil rights leaders in African-American history. So shout out to Martin Luther King. Man, it's, it's always special to celebrate the legacy of the great Dr. Martin Luther King. So want to get that out the way. Another week of Wise Guys Sports. Call to the show, 513-203-8655, 513-203-8655. It was a great weekend of football on Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. So many great games over the weekend. The 49ers beat the Seahawks 41-23. The Giants, they upset the Vikings 31-24. And in the AFC, the Bills, they outlasted the Miami Dolphins 34-31 to in Buffalo over the weekend. And the Bengals beat the Ravens 24-17. to So, some great matchups in the NFL. I'm going to recap all the games. Can't forget about last night's matchup between the Cowboys and Buccaneers. The Cowboys completely dominated the Bucs last night. And it, it, it honestly, the game wasn't close. It wasn't close. I'm going to talk about that game here in a bit. So call to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. If there's anything that you want to talk about specifically tonight, any particular game that you want to discuss tonight on the show, we can, we can talk about it. Who do you believe was the outstanding player of the weekend? From from either conference, who who do you believe had player wise had the the best weekend? So gone to the show, but we begin in the Queen City in Cincinnati as the Cincinnati Bengals beat the Baltimore Ravens on Wild Card Weekend, twenty four to seventeen. For the Ravens, Tyler Huntley went seventeen of twenty nine. He threw for two hundred twenty six passing yards. Two touchdowns, one interception. Mark Andrews had five receptions, 73 receiving yards. For the Bengals, Joey B went 23 of 32. He threw for 209 passing yards. He also ran for a touchdown as well. Jamar Chase had nine receptions, 84 receiving yards. Here's Joe Burrow after the Bengals win over the Ravens. Great leaders in the locker room. Zach puts us in, all in, in the right mindset and in great positions to, to go and succeed. And we have the utmost faith in each other to go and make plays to win the game. And there's never any panic. You know, we've been in these spots before, we've been in these big moments. Understand that we have guys that are going to go make plays in, in moments like that. And so that gives us a lot of faith to 
just stay within ourselves, do our jobs, and come out with W's. That was Joe Burrow in the immediate aftermath in the postgame press conference of the Bengals' 24-17 win over the Baltimore Ravens over the weekend. So, first order of business as I discuss this game. After the Bengals beat the Ravens, I saw a lot of Bengal fans on social media, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. I had a lot of family and friends who were calling me throughout the nights on Sunday night and then early month, the part of part of Monday as well, talking about the game because they were and a lot of Bengal fans. They didn't like the fact that the Bengals barely beat the Ravens and it took a uh, Sam Hubbard 98 yard touchdown fumble recovery for the Bengals to beat the Ravens. A lot of Bengal fans, they were talking about this win and they were concerned and they said that, you know, the Bengals didn't look very good in this game and basically like they should have beaten the Ravens more than what they beat them by. And I had to be honest and come from a sports analyst perspective because everyone knows that living here in Cincinnati, being a Packers fan, everyone knows how much fun I love to have trash talking Bengal fans and family and friends and messing with everybody about the Bengals. But I had to be honest. And the more I thought about it after I slept on it, this was actually an impressive win for the Cincinnati Bengals. Let me explain the reasons why this win over the Ravens was impressive for the Cincinnati Bengals. Number one, the Baltimore Ravens, they are a division rival to the Cincinnati Bengals. So the Bengals and Ravens, they are very familiar with one another. They play each other twice a year. They just played each other in week 18. So when you play a team twice, normally that second time, even if you beat them the first time and blow them off the field, that second time, more than likely that game will be competitive. Not to mention a third time these teams have played against each other. I believe the fact that the Bengals were able to beat the Ravens and even though they only won by seven points, it's an impressive win because the Baltimore Ravens, number one, they are a championship organization. This is a team that is led by quarterback Lamar Jackson, and we know how dynamic of a player Lamar Jackson is. Whether or not he's going to be back in Baltimore next year and for future seasons to come remains unclear at this moment, and I'll get into that in a bit. But they're led by Lamar Jackson. They are also led by John Harbaugh, who's already won a Super Bowl. He knows his football. He is one of the more proven coaches in the NFL. And this Baltimore Ravens organization, they are contenders year in and year out in the AFC North and in the AFC overall. This is a complete football team that is a championship organization. The Ravens rarely have bad seasons. They're not the Cleveland Browns. They're not the Detroit Lions. They're not the Houston Texans, okay? This is the Baltimore Ravens that we're talking about here. So I knew going into this game that the Ravens were going to show up even without Lamar Jackson. So I believe that this was an impressive win for the Bengals considering they just beat the Ravens in week 18 and had to turn right back around and play the Ravens the following week 
in a wild card matchup at Paycar Stadium. And they already had previously played the Ravens twice this year. So I got to get a Bengals credit for beating the Ravens in a game where they had already played this previous division rival twice. They had already played this previous division rival twice. So I have to give them credit for being able to overcome the familiarity and the fact that the Ravens know the Bengals very well. They know their tendencies. Like, that's why I like the trash talk between Jamar Chase, Marcus Peters, because these two teams know each other, and they don't like each other. In the AFC North, I believe the AFC North, honestly, is the toughest division in pro football. No matter who plays against each other in the AFC North, the game is going to be a battle. If it's the Browns and Bengals, it's going to be a battle. If it's the Browns and Steelers, it's going to be a battle. If it's the Browns and Ravens, it's going to be a battle. No matter who is playing against one another in this division, it's going to be a battle. So I want to give the Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor, and his football team credit for being able to overcome a division rival in a game where they were heavy favorites against a team not playing their starting quarterback in Lamar Jackson. I've got to give, I got to give the Bengals credit because they, that they could have easily let their guard down and started feeling themselves thinking they were going to blow out the Ravens. They didn't do that. This was a tough battle all night long. And when it comes to the Ravens, I believe that the Ravens play a perfect football game. They, 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 they really, really did. Like I thought, the way that they managed the game and how they shortened the game, I believe it gave them an opportunity to pull off the upset. I mean, you look at what they were able to do in this game. They had 155 rushing yards, 364 total yards of offense. So they had more total yards of offense than even the Bengals had. They had 364 total yards of offense. The Bengals had 234 total yards of offense. and the Ravens, they were able to create some turnovers. The Hurst fumble helped the Ravens in this game. The Ravens won the time of possession in this game. I thought the Ravens did everything they possibly could to upset the Bengals in this playoff matchup. But the key play in this game, it came when the Ravens were inside the three-yard line in a position to go up seven over the Bengals and Tyler Huntley, for whatever reason, decided to reach the ball over the goal line and a crowd full of defenders made no sense. I don't understand for the life of me what the hell Huntley was thinking in that moment because if anything, if you're running a quarterback sneak, you don't go high with the football at its highest point. You bring the football down, tuck the ball, secure the football, and push forward and try to get into the end zone. Instead, he decided to try to lunge over the defenders and get into the end zone. But shout out to Logan Wilson, a linebacker for the Bengals, who I think he's a very, very underrated linebacker in the NFL. Logan Wilson, he saw what Huntley was doing, knocked the football out of his hands, and Sam Hubbard was Johnny on the spot, caught the football, and ran 98 yards the opposite way. And I know Sam Hubbard, he was huffing and puffing 
running that 98 yards to, 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 to the house for the Bengals. I could only imagine what Pekar Stadium was like when that play happened. When that play took place in that game, because I know Bengal fans, y'all were nervous. The Bengal fans were nervous as hell when the Ravens were inside the five-yard line because the Bengals were heavy favorites coming into this game. And here the Ravens are in a position to go up seven and put major, major pressure on Joe Burrow and that Bengals offense to try to score a touchdown to tie the game up. And so that play by Logan Wilson knocking the football out of Huntley's hands, that was the play so far of the Bengals season. Biggest play so far of the Bengals season, seriously. But when it comes to the Ravens, and J.K. Dobbins, he spoke about this in the post-game press conference. J.K. Dobbins was frustrated after the game because the Ravens didn't give him an opportunity to run the football into the end zone in that moment. J.K. Dobbins, for the game, he had 13 carries, 62 rushing yards, but he was averaging 4.8 yards per carry. So he was averaging close to five yards per carry, and J.K. Dobbins is, I believe he's a very, very important piece in this Ravens offense. Very, very important piece. And I think that knowing you don't have Lamar Jackson, you have to rely on J.K. Dobbins in that moment to help your football team score a touchdown that can position you to be in the place for the win. Like for the season, J.K. Dobbins, he was injured this season as well, so he missed some games. 92 carries, 520 rushing yards, average close to six yards per carry. And this was a, a, a something that I saw after the game on Twitter. This is Sarah Ellingson. She covers the Ravens. The Ravens offense, they had 10 plays from inside the five-yard line. J.K. Dobbins got one touch of those 10 plays, and he scored a touchdown on his one touch. He should have gotten more opportunities to punch the football into the end zone for this Baltimore Ravens football team. So I like John Harbaugh as a coach. I love the job that he's done leading this Ravens football team. But him and Greg Roman, who's the offensive coordinator for the Ravens, I need answers. I need answers. Now, Harbaugh did say in the postgame press conference that the play was designed for Huntley to try to quarterback sneak and push forward and not try to lunge over the defenders. So that was on Huntley. Huntley decided to, for whatever reason, dive over the top. That was something that he decided to do. But that was a terrible, terrible decision in that moment. Terrible decision. Again, I think this was a great bat battle for the Bengals, and they were battle-tested in this game. So I think it was great for them because now they got a scare from the Ravens. It's going to prepare them for their matchup against the Bills this week in the division around the playoffs. I think the Bengals definitely needed that, that game against the Ravens. It reminded me last year of the Bengals' wild card win over the Raiders. Remember last year the Raiders came into Paul Brown Stadium and they hung with the Bengals. They only lost by seven points in that game. And similar to that game, the Ravens had a chance to tie the game up at the end of regulation and send the game to overtime. And that happened again in this game. Huntley had the Ravens in position to tie the game up late, and Bengal fans were sweating. So this is a, a, a battle that the Bengals needed because it's going to prepare them for the rest of their playoff run because they were battle-tested in the earlier rounds. 
So shout out to Zach Taylor, shout out to Joe Burrow and that Bengals football team getting the job done, prevailing over the Baltimore Ravens. Now, when it comes to the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, he posted something on his story Monday. This was after the Ravens lost, obviously. Lamar Jackson posted something, and this was something that Wallow, shout out to my man Wallow on Million Dollars Worth of Game. This was something that Wallow had posted on his page. Lamar Jackson, he posted it on his page. It says, when you have something good, you don't play with it. You don't take chances losing it. You don't neglect it. When you have something good, you pour into it. You appreciate it. Because when you take care of something good, that good takes care of you too. I don't know Lamar Jackson personally, but I don't think he's going through a breakup from what I know. But that sounds like someone who feels underappreciated by his football team. That, that, that's what that sounds like. That sounds like someone who feels very, very underappreciated. And I believe that the Baltimore Ravens will be making a huge mistake if they allow Lamar Jackson to walk out of that Baltimore Ravens facility and not give him a long-term contract. It's reported that the Baltimore Ravens, they offered Lamar Jackson $133 million in guaranteed money, and I think that's ridiculous because Lamar Jackson, he deserves more money than Kyler Murray. He deserves more money than Deshaun Watson as well, and I love Deshaun Watson. I, I love his game. I love his skill set. I always believed that he was a better pocket passer than Lamar Jackson is. But Lamar Jackson has an NFL MVP on his resume. Kyler Murray, he's getting paid $189.5 million in guaranteed money. Russell Wilson is getting paid $165 million in guaranteed money. And Matthew Stafford is getting paid $130 million in guaranteed money. You telling me Lamar Jackson isn't worth more than Stafford, Wilson, Murray, and Watson? Are you kidding me, Ravens? Mind you, when I look at the landscape in the NFL right now, just look at the AFC alone. In the AFC, the Jaguars, they got a tremendous receiving core surrounding Trevor Lawrence. Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, Ingram. You look at the Chiefs. The Chiefs got... Travis Kelsey surrounding Patrick Mahomes. They got Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling. In the past, they had Tyreek Hill for the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen, he has Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis. Joe Burrow has Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. What exactly does Lamar Jackson have? Mark Andrews is his best weapon in this Ravens offense. And I love Mark Andrews. But Mark Andrews is not a game changer. He's an impactful player, but he's not a game changer. So the fact that this Baltimore Ravens organization has underappreciated Lamar Jackson is a problem for me. You look at Lamar Jackson and what he's been able to do since he's been the starting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson, his career record is 45 and 16. He has 101 passing touchdowns, 38 interceptions, 12,209 passing yards. He's completed 64% of his games. But 
We know that Lamar Jackson is great as a playmaker at the quarterback position. Since he's been in the NFL, Lamar Jackson has 4,437 rushing yards, 24 touchdowns. So Lamar Jackson is the most valuable quarterback to his team in the NFL. He's more valuable than Joe Burrow is to the Bengals. He's more valuable than Josh Allen is to the Bills. He's more valuable than even Patrick Mahomes is to the Chiefs. The Baltimore Ravens are making a huge mistake not paying Lamar Jackson what he deserves. And if I'm Lamar Jackson, I wouldn't play another down for the Baltimore Ravens if I don't have a certain amount of guaranteed money. What Deshaun Watson got at $230 million guaranteed, that's the starting point if I'm Lamar Jackson when it comes to negotiating with the Baltimore Ravens. That's the starting point. And it was something that the great Shannon Sharp said on Undisputed a few days ago. They were talking about whether or not Lamar Jackson should play in this game, and he brought up RG3. And like he said when he was talking, he said, because RG3 went out there and wanted to play for the team and his guys, Lamar Jackson now talks about football instead of actually playing football. And I think that's something that Lamar Jackson has to take in consideration while he negotiates a contract with the Baltimore Ravens or any other organization for that matter. But I do believe that the Baltimore Ravens and Lamar Jackson, as it currently stands, are heading for a divorce. They're heading for a divorce. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys at Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Coming out the break, I'm going to discuss the Cowboys dominating win over the Buccaneers. I'll be right back. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. Here live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody remember going follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Call to the show. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. Let's transition to the NFC. A Monday night football matchup in Tampa. It's the Cowboys. It's the Bucks. The Cowboys beat the Buccaneers 31 to 14. Dak Prescott had a sensational performance for the Dallas Cowboys. He went 25 of 33. He threw for 305 passing yards, four touchdowns. For the Buccaneers, Tom Brady struggled. He went 35 of 66. He threw for 251. Passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. So a couple key notes I want to get out the way about this win for the Cowboys. It was very, very impressive. This was the first role playoff win for the Cowboys since the 1992 season. Dak Prescott became the first Cowboys quarterback to win on the road 
since Troy Aikman in 1992. This snaps an eight-game losing streak, second longest all-time. This is also the Cowboys' first win against Tom Brady. They had been 0-7, their worst record against any quarterback in NFL history. And that's where I want to start off with tonight on the show. I want to give a round of applause to Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott was sensational in this game, ladies and gentlemen. He was sensational. And I've been critical of Dak Prescott. I have. But Dak Prescott put on a great performance. You look at what he was able to do in this game. Dak Prescott, in his first two drives, Dak went 0-3 passing, zero passing yards, zero touchdowns. The rest of the game, he went 25 of 30. He threw for 305 passing yards, five touchdowns, including a rushing touchdown for himself. Dak Prescott became the fourth quarterback in NFL postseason history to throw for 300 passing yards and also have four passing touchdowns and one rushing touchdown. Only Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, and Peyton Manning did it before Dak Prescott did it last night. So Dak Prescott was sensational last night. And that was the biggest issue that we had with Dak Prescott coming into this game. And the reason why we thought about the possibility of the Buccaneers being able to upset the Cowboys was because we looked at the quarterbacks and we said, maybe, just maybe, Tom Brady will outplay Dak Prescott. And even though we know the Cowboys have more of a complete football team, because Tom Brady is something that we can rely on and he's consistent, he may outplay Prescott, and that will even the playing field when it comes to the two teams overall. So that was one of the questions that we had coming into this game. Dak Prescott, he had been turning the ball over at a high level, and, it, and it's crazy because Dak, he was fresh off the worst game of his career in Week 18 against the Commanders. Week 18 against the Commanders, Dak goes 14 of 37, 128 passing yards, one touchdown, one interception, quarterback rating of 45.8. Worst performance of his career. So that's why Cowboy fans all week were nervous. They were nervous because we didn't know which Dak Prescott was going to show up. And he, he was sensational in this game. And I thought he was the best player on the field. A lot of times when I watch Cowboy games, I always say that Micah Parsons is the best player on their team. I always say it. I've said it all season long, and I love Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons is one of the best defensive players we have in the NFL. He had nine pressures last night. That's the most of any player on the football field. But last night, Dak Prescott was the best player on the Dallas Cowboys, and he deserved the game ball. So I, I got to give credit where it's due. Dak Prescott was sensational. But honestly, this game was an indicator on what it was the entire season for both of these teams. The, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they're a one-dimensional football team. They have no running game to speak of whatsoever. The Buccaneers 
are a one-dimensional football team. Tom Brady dropped back the pass 66 times in this game. The man's 45 years of age. This ain't Patrick Mahomes. This ain't Josh Allen. This ain't Joe Burrow. This is Tom Brady. He dropped back the pass 66 times in this game. That's the second most pass attempts that Tom Brady's ever had in his career. It tells you everything you need to know about why the Tempe Buccaneers were 8-9 this season. And the only reason why the Tempe Buccaneers made the playoffs was because they played in the pathetic NFC South. Let's just call it what it is. The Tempe Buccaneers have been awful all season long. But Tom Brady, even at age 45, there were di different points throughout the season where Tom Brady was able to bail out the Buccaneers late in games. The Buccaneers, they would hang around, and Tom Brady would figure out a way to wield this Buccaneers football team late, and the Buccaneers would win games throughout the season. They beat the Rams on a late game-winning touchdown drive by Brady. They beat the Saints on Monday Night Football on a late game-winning touchdown drive by Tom Brady. All season long, they've been bailed out by Tom Brady. And I know last night Tom Brady didn't play a great game, and his performance specifically last night wasn't very good. But Tom Brady has literally carried this Buccaneers football team all season long. Now, last night, the Buccaneers had 52 rushing yards. 52 rushing yards. This is a team that has Leonard Fournette, and they also have Rashad White. So they have running backs who can produce. But this year, they, they just was not very good running the football at all. And that was the biggest issue for the Buccaneers in this game and overall throughout the season. Overall throughout the season. This was the fifth time in Brady's career where he didn't make the division around playoffs. Only five times has Tom Brady in his career missed the division around playoffs. So if you look at the numbers, this is also Brady's third largest playoff loss. So, I mean, you look at everywhere in this, in, uh, when you look at the statistics, the Cowboys were the better football team. They were the most complete football team. And they showed why they were one of the best teams in the NFC East and one of the best teams in the NFC overall. The, the Buccaneers, they have not been the same since their Super Bowl run. Now, I know last year they got to the playoffs, but they got outplayed by the Rams for the first three quarters of that game. They got completely outplayed. But Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Julio Jones, they just have not produced at a high level for the Buccaneers this year. And that's been part of the reason why the Buccaneers offensively have not been in sync all season long. This isn't the same Buccaneers football team that Tom Brady played for in 2022 than what he played for when they won the Super Bowl. It's not the same team at all. This year, Tom Brady, he went 8-10. His 53 total QBR was terrible. He had 6.3 yards per attempt this year. That includes the playoffs. That wasn't very good. So, I mean, this they weren't very good this year. And they fired Byron Leftwich earlier this, this afternoon. So Byron Leftwich is out in Tampa. I'm not sure what that's about because 
you can't blame Leftwich for the struggles that this Buccaneers football team has. Some of that's personnel. Some of that is personnel. But the the I, I don't want to speak too much on 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 the on the Bucks. I will say this when it comes to Tom Brady and his future. Tom Brady, while he was in Tampa Bay, this these are his numbers. Tom Brady has one thousand five hundred and fifty one completions. That's ranked first in the NFL since 2020. He has 16,655 passer yards. That's ranked second since 2020. He has 123 passing touchdowns. That's the most in franchise history, including the playoffs. That's That's third since 2020, and he has 37 wins. That's ranked third since 2020. That's his career since he's been in Tampa Bay. For me, I believe Tom Brady can still play. I think his arm talent is still there. But I don't believe Tom Brady playing in Tampa is the right fit for him moving forward. I think Tom Brady needs to go to a team that has a proven number one receiver, that has a legit tight end, and also has a running back who's dynamic, and a head coach who he can trust. And also a team that has a pretty solid defense. That's what Tom Brady has to have right now at this point in his career. Tom Brady can no longer carry a football team at age 45 like he could at age 34. Those those days are behind Tom. But I still believe that Tom Brady is better than more than half of the quarterbacks currently playing in the NFL. But I think his time in Tampa has officially come to an end. And if he wants to continue to play football, I would seriously consider either going to Las Vegas and playing with the Raiders or even going to San Francisco and, and, and teaming up with Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch in that 49ers organization. Because you know he's from the West Coast, finished his career at, at home, close to, 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 to his home area. That, that would be definitely, definitely nice for Tom. But when it comes to the Cowboys and Dak Prescott, before I move on to my next topic, Dak Prescott did what he was supposed to do, and I'm going to give him credit for beating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm also going to give credit to Mike McCarthy because coming into this game, everyone talked about the possibility of the Cowboys firing Mike McCarthy if they lost to the Buccaneers. Well, we got to have the same energy now that they've beaten the Buccaneers. Mike McCarthy did what he was supposed to do. He's led the Cowboys to back-to-back postseason berths, and he's now heading into the division round of the playoffs, and he's a coach that is proven. This is a coach that's won a Super Bowl with the Packers, and he's a proven head coach. We have to give him credit. So, again, Cowboys, it's going to be interesting when they play the 49ers here next weekend. It's going to be very, very interesting. If Dak Prescott can pull that upset off, I believe we could talk about Dak Prescott and whether or not he is in that top-tier quarterback range. Everybody, go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports here live on the World Wide Sports Network. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys 
underscore H also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guy on Instagram at These Guys No Sports. Let's transition to the AFC and let's talk about a big time comeback from the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jacksonville Jaguars erased a 27 point deficit to beat the Chargers 31 to 30 to advance to the division round playoffs for the Chargers. Justin Herbert went 25 of 43. He threw threw for 273 passing yards, one touchdown. Everett for the Chargers had six receptions, 106 receiving yards, one touchdown. For the Jaguars, Trevor Lawrence, he went 28 of 47. He threw for 288 passing yards, four touchdowns, four interceptions. Here is Trevor Lawrence in the immediate aftermath of the win over the Chargers. doesn't matter who we're playing, where we're playing, when we're playing, how the game's gone. The first half, you know, the first three quarters, we always got a shot. And and that's that's kind of the that's kind of what you want to build in the team and an organization and culture. And, you know, I give all the credit to, to Coach Peterson. It takes more than obviously him, but just the the mindset and the belief that he's brought to this team, um, it starts with him, and, and it just has kind of trickled throughout. That was Trevor Lawrence in the immediate aftermath of the Jaguars win over the Chargers. First and foremost, I want to talk about Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, I can't say enough about how great he was in the second half of this game. I don't believe a game could have started any worse for Trevor Lawrence. This was Trevor Lawrence in the first quarter against the Chargers the other night. He went 4 of 13. He had 30 yards passing, no touchdowns, three interceptions. His passer rating was 0.6. He's the first player in Super Bowl era with three interceptions in the first quarter of a playoff game. So this game couldn't have started any worse for Trevor Lawrence in his first playoff game. Couldn't start it any worse. But as great as Trevor Lawrence was in the second in the, in the, in the second half, he was that bad in the first half equally. But he turned it around in a big way in the second half. And he did major, major damage to this Chargers defense. Trevor Lawrence, this was since the two-minute mark in the first half. Before, the point differential was minus 27. He went 5 of 18, 35 passing yards, zero touchdowns, four interceptions. Quarterback rating was zero. After that two-minute mark of the first half, Trevor Lawrence was plus 28 in point differential, 23 of 29. 253 passing yards, four touchdowns, passer rating of 142.6. He was sensational in the second half for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, he was the reason why the Jaguars were down 27 to begin with, but you got to give Trevor Lawrence credit for not hanging his head, not losing confidence, and having the ability to overcome a 27-point deficit. you got, you got to give him confidence for that. Again, he's young, sophomore year in the NFL. He's never lost on a Saturday. To this day, Trevor Lawrence still is undefeated on 
Saturdays. He's never lost. He was sensational in this game. And I thought that him elevating his game and getting the Jaguars to the division around of the playoffs is something they can build upon for next season. Now, they'll lose next week. I know I'm going to do my predictions on Thursday. They'll lose next week. But the fact that the Jaguars are even in this position in the division around of the playoffs speaks to the development of Trevor Lawrence and Doug Peterson. I, I can't say enough about how great Doug Peterson is as a head coach. And you heard Trevor Lawrence in his post-game press conference talk about Doug Peterson and him being a part of the reason why the Jaguars believe that they can overcome any major deficit in football games. You look at Doug Peterson as head coach. In a regular season, he is 51 and 45 and 1. So he's won 53% of his games. He's 5 and 2 in the postseason. So he's won 71% of his games in the playoffs. The man won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. And if it wasn't for Brian Dayball, we would be talking about Doug Peterson being in the conversation for Coach of the Year honors. I think it's a toss-up between Doug Peterson and Brian Dayball in my book. You could give it to either head coach. That's how good Doug Peterson has been as the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He has helped Trevor Lawrence in his development significantly. Seriously. But I have to give some credit also to those Jaguars receivers because the Jaguars receivers, they stepped up in a major, major way in the second half, and they helped Trevor Lawrence overcome this 27-point deficit. Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, Marvin Jones, they stepped up in a major, major way for the Jaguars in the second half. Give them a ton of credit. Give them credit for being able to get open and be a reliable target for Trevor Lawrence. Ingram had seven receptions, 93 receiving yards, one touchdown. Kirk, eight receptions, 78 receiving yards, one touchdown. Zay Jones, eight receptions, 74 receiving yards, one touchdown. So it was a balanced effort by this Jaguars receiving core. Balanced effort from top to bottom. ETN, the running back for the Jaguars, 20 carries, 109 rushing yards, averaged 5.5 yards per carry. The run that he had late in the game that got the Jaguars into field goal range, that was a key play in the game. So the Jaguars were tremendous in the second half of this game. The Jaguars, they outscored the Chargers 24-3 in the second half. And I thought that late touchdown by the Jaguars with 28 seconds left, that Lawrence touchdown throw that he had to Ingram, that was key. I thought that was key because at that point, the Chargers were up on the scoreboard and they were dominating the football game at that point. It was 27-0. So I thought that that touchdown catch by Ingram helped Trevor Lawrence and his Jaguars offense build up some confidence heading into the second half. That was a key, key play. And I thought them being able to cut that deficit to 20, it was a major, major confidence booster for this football team. So instead of being down 27-0 to at the half, 
they were down 27 to 7. I thought that was key as well. But with all that being said, you can't have a major comeback without having a major collapse. This was a major collapse by Justin Herbert and the LA Chargers. First and foremost, Brandon Staley, how the hell you only give Austin Ekelar six touches in the second half? Six touches in the second half for Austin Ekelar. Now, mind you, I believe that Ekelar is one of the more underrated running backs in the NFL. I mean, you look at what he's been able to do so far this season heading into this game. Austin Ekelar for the Chargers, he had 915 rushing yards, 204 carries, 13 touchdowns for the season. And for him to only get six touches in the second half, I believe that is ridiculous by this Chargers coaching staff. It's, it's ridiculous. Brandon Staley, I need answers. I need answers. Remember, in his first season, Brandon Staley had an issue with punting. For whatever reason, he was allergic to punting the football. Allergic to it. He, he went for it on all major fourth down plays. He wanted to prove that he was the smartest man in the room, whatever. He had an issue, and he was allergic to punting the football last year. In the second half against the Jaguars, Brandon Staley was allergic to running the football. It is unacceptable for Austin Eckler to only have six touches in the second half. He's arguably their best player offensively, not named Justin Herbert. I, 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 he's, he was a playmaker this year for this Chargers football team. And in this game, the Chargers, they called run plays on 24% of their plays that were called. 24%. Now, earlier, the I got some news on the Chargers. The Chargers, they did fire their offensive coordinator earlier this afternoon. They fired him. They let him go. And I, it was it's Joe Lombardi. They had to let him go. They had to let him go because it is unacceptable to only have six carries for Eckler in the second half. I mean, they kept dropping Herbert back to pass. It made no sense. But once again, the Chargers, being the Chargers, they, they blew a major, major opportunity to advance in the playoffs and take on the Kansas City Chiefs. They, they, they blew this. They, they completely blew it. But I, I think Justin Herbert has a lot of groin to do. I believe Brandon Staley also has a lot of groin to do. And I was surprised that the L.A. Chargers allowed Staley on the plane ride back to L.A. I was surprised because I thought he was going to be fired. I, I really thought the Chargers were going to make a change knowing Sean Payton is available and he was ready to coach again. I thought they were going to make a major change, but they, they, they are going to stick with Brandon Staley and they fired Joe Lombardi, the previous offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for the Chargers. Somebody had to answer for this major, major second half collapse. Somebody. And it's funny because these young coaches in the NFL, they can't get out of their own way when they have major leads. We saw it happen with Jeff Saturday and the Indianapolis Colts earlier this season when they blew a 33-point lead against the Minnesota Vikings. 
The Chargers had a 27-point lead in this game. And this actually, in, like, in largest comeback wins in NFL history, this is a regular season and the playoffs. This is the fifth largest comeback win in NFL history. The fifth. Obviously, we had the Vikings over the Colts with a 33-point lead. That was the largest. This was the fifth largest comeback win in NFL history. So shout out to the Jaguars, shout out to Trevor Lawrence, and shout out to Doug Peterson for advancing in the playoffs to take on the Chiefs next week, and the Chargers are going home. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H, also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys at Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Come out the break, I'm going to discuss the Bills 34 to 31 win over the Dolphins. I'll be right back. And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. You're live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys at Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Call to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655. That's the number to dial for tonight's show. Let's transition to the AFC. Let's talk about the AFC East playoff battle. The Buffalo Bills beat the Miami Dolphins 34 to 31 for the Dolphins. Skylar Thompson went 18 of 45. He threw for 220 passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions for the Bills. Josh Allen went 23 of 39. He threw for 359 passing yards. Three touchdowns, two interceptions. And Stefan Diggs, he went seven receptions, 114 receiving yards. So this was a game where I thought the Buffalo Bills barely, barely squeaked by the Miami Dolphins. Similar to how I felt about the Bengals and how they were battle tested, this was a battle. For the Buffalo Bills all game long against this Miami Dolphins football team because the Dolphins showed up. They showed up. Now, you know, coming into this game, the Dolphins, they didn't have their starter in Tua. They didn't have their backup in Teddy Bridgewater. And they were starting Skylar Thompson. And Skylar Thompson, he's had a few starts, but he doesn't have major experience as a starter in the NFL. Definitely doesn't have it have major playoff experience. And I thought in this game, crazy as it sounds, Thompson played well in this game. I know he threw two interceptions. And I know you look at the numbers, 18 of 45, quarterback rating of 44.7. Not really impressive, but I thought in the first half, he gave his receivers opportunities to make plays. I saw drop passes from Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. I thought Skylar Thompson did the best he possibly could keeping this Dolphins football team in the game. Seriously. And for the game, the Dolphins as a football, <coughs> football team overall, 
they had 42 rushing yards. If he could have gotten anything from the running game, I believe that the Dolphins could have possibly pulled off the upset. If he could have got anything for the running game, I think the Dolphins could have had an opportunity to win this game. Seriously, I thought Thompson played very, very well considering the circumstances. But I thought that in this game, we witnessed a football team in the Miami Dolphins that they they know that they belong to be here. Like, it wasn't by accident that they got into the playoffs. They deserve to be a playoff team. And if it wasn't for two attacking Vailoa having his concussion issues, the Dolphins, they believe that they could have beaten the Bills Sunday and they could be the team that's playing in the divisional round of the playoffs. They believe it. And I believe that the Miami Dolphins have a great launching point heading into next year based on their performance in this game. They, 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 got, they got something to build on for sure heading into next year. I thought defensively they were able to sack Josh Allen seven times. I thought that was key. I, I mean, they were able to get after Josh Allen in this game, and Josh Allen was flustered. You look at Josh Allen, what he did in this game, 23 of 39, 352 passing yards. Yes, the numbers look good, but he had two interceptions in this game, two interceptions that he threw in this game. So I thought that that Dolphins defense did a great job applying pressure on Josh Allen. You got to give him major, major credit for that. They held the Bills offense to go 9 of 16 on third down. They held them to under 350 passing yards for the game. So I thought I thought that that Dolphins defense did a did a did the best possible job they could if considering the circumstances. Now when it comes to Josh Allen, when it comes to Josh Allen overall, Josh Allen has a turnover problem. We we got to start calling it what it is. This is the most interceptions and fumbles this season, including the playoffs. Justin Fields has 27. Matt Ryan has 28. Josh Allen has 32. That's interceptions and fumbles. So Josh Allen has an issue at protecting the football. We got to start calling it what it is. He has not done a good job at protecting the football for this, this Buffalo Bills football team. And as you get later into the playoffs against teams like the Bengals, if they get past the Bengals, the Chiefs, in the AFC Championship, this is something that Josh Allen is going to have to fix if the Bills want to be a Super Bowl contender. This is something that they're going to have to definitely fix. Like Josh Allen, he, he like, I see Patrick Mahomes, I see Joe Burrow, I see them protecting the football, and that's something that Josh Allen struggles with. For whatever reason, he struggles with that. But I thought that the Bills were going to win by more than three points, but the Dolphins fought all afternoon long. But the problem for the Bills is going to be whether or not they can create pressure defensively on the opposing team's quarterbacks the rest of the way. Because now you're going to be going up against Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and potentially Trevor Lawrence. You're going to have to create some pressure defensively if you are the Buffalo Bills as a football team. Now, they got four sacks in this game, but overall, that's going to be key for them. They, they did lose Von Miller. In the early part of the season, and we know that Von Miller was going to be a huge X factor for the Bills on their playoff run. He was going to be huge for them. So I want to see if this defense 
can create some havoc and, you know, a, a, like force the opposing team's quarterback to, to be under pressure. That's going to be key for the Bills moving forward. But as an offense, the Bills still had over 400 total yards of offense. They still dominated the time of possession, 32 to 27. I think it's also going to be key for them to run the football a little bit more. In this game, Singletary had 10 carries for 48 rushing yards. But, you know, they're going to have to get Josh Allen involved in the running game as well. That's how their offense flows and moves the chains as a football team when Josh Allen is involved in the running game. That's going to be key for the Bills as they continue on their playoff run, for sure. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And we should have followed Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. They're live on the World Wide Sports Network. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. Be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. A little under the weather tonight. Not sure if you can tell. Definitely, definitely allergies is, is kicking in for some reason. Sneezing, coughing a little bit. The weather would be so crazy here in Cincinnati. I mean, one week is 60, the next week is 20 degrees outside. So I, I guess my body is getting adjusted to the weather. So just excuse me for my for, for, for my voice tonight and coughing a little bit, but slow under the weather. But let's transition to the NFC. Let's talk about the 49ers and their win over the Seahawks. The 49ers, they beat the Seahawks 41 to 23 to advance to the division round of the playoffs. For the Seahawks, Geno Smith went 25 of 35. He threw for 253 passing yards, two touchdowns, one interception. DK Metcalf had a great game. He had 10 receptions, 136 receiving yards, two touchdowns. Brock Purdy has done it again. 18 of 30, 332 passing yards, three touchdowns. Even ran for a touchdown as well. And Brock Purdy became the fifth player in NFL playoff history 
to have 300 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, and zero interceptions, and a rushing touchdown in NFL history. The fifth player to do it. He now becomes with the likes of Aaron Rodgers, Joe Montana, Matt Ryan, and Patrick Mahomes. They're the only quarterbacks to have 300 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, no interceptions, and a rushing touchdown. So elite company for Brock Purdy to be a part of. And that's where I want to start off with that, with tonight. Brock Purdy has been great for the 49ers. And it's crazy because, remember, coming into the season, everyone was talking about, should the 49ers start Jimmy Garoppolo or, or should they start Trey Lance? They went with Trey Lance. Unfortunately, Trey Lance had a season-ending injury in week two. They had to bring in Jimmy G. And Jimmy Garoppolo did a great job leading this 49ers football team in the middle of the season. And then Jimmy Garoppolo got injured like he always does. And they had to rely on Mr. Irrelevant, who was the last pick in the draft last year. The last pick of the draft, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch had to rely on Brock Purdy. And Brock Purdy has been nothing short of sensational for this 49ers football team. I mean, he's done a great job leading this team overall as a quarterback. He's the first rookie in NFL history with a three-passing touchdown, one-rushing touchdown performance in a playoff game. He's the fourth player in 49ers history with three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown in a playoff game. So Brock Purdy is, is doing some big things for this 49ers football team overall. He also has the longest streak with two passing touchdowns in 49ers history. That includes the playoff. Jeff Garcia had eight games with the passing with two passing touchdowns or more. And Purdy and Steve Young both have seven games with two passing touchdowns or more. So he's he's been doing a great job leading this 49ers football team. And it's crazy how coming into the season, the talk was about Trey Lance and Jimmy Garoppolo, but the best quarterback on their football team is now their starting quarterback. And he is a part of the reason why they are legit contenders in the NFC. He's the best player as a quarterback in this Kyle Shanahan system. Trey Lance only had a game and a half to run the offense. And we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo in previous years struggle in the playoffs and struggle, struggle in the regular season. So Brock Purdy has done a hell of a job at the quarterback position for the 49ers. He, he is the best quarterback that they have on their roster currently. And even if Jimmy Garoppolo comes back and he's healthy, I think Kyle Shanahan has to stick with Brock Purdy as his quarterback. You got to ride the hot hand. You have to ride the hot hand. And we already know offensively they have Christian McCaffrey. They have Debo Samuel. They have George Kittle. They got Brandon Ayuk in this game. Christian McCaffrey had 136 scrimmage yards, one touchdown. Debo Samuel had 133 receiving yards, one touchdown. So this 49ers offense is elite. And they are led by Brock Purdy. And he's not the weakest part of their offense. That was, that was the biggest question once Jimmy Garoppolo got injured. Is Brock Purdy going to be the weak part of their offense? And Brock Purdy has honestly elevated this 49ers offense to a, another level. They were already good with Jimmy Garoppolo. They're even better with Brock Purdy. They're even better. So 
The 49ers, they've won 11 straight games, including the playoffs. They are led by defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans. They have the best defense in the NFL. Uh, it is not even close when it comes to who has the best defense in the NFL. The 49ers, by far, are the best defensive team in pro football. We know they have Nick Bosa up front. They have Armstead up front. They got one of the best young linebackers in the NFL, in Fred Warner. They got Greenlaw as well. They got Tarafunga in their secondary. Uh, the 49ers are legit defensively, and they are scary. But the Seahawks, on the other hand, I believe that the Seahawks, the way they were able to finish the season at 9-8, and eight, Sneaking into the playoffs as a wild card team in the NFC. They had Geno Smith on their team this year. Geno Smith, he did great for the Seattle Seahawks. 30 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 4,282 passing yards. He completed 70% of his passes. Geno Smith was impressive this year. And he had arguably his best season of his career. Best season of his career with the Seattle Seahawks. So the Seattle Seahawks, they, despite them losing, they have nothing to be ashamed of. They overachieved this year. I didn't even have the Seahawks as a playoff team in the NFC coming into the season. And you look at their offseason outlook, the Seahawks have the fourth most projected cap space. They also have two picks in the first round of the NFL draft this year in the first round. In the first round, they got two picks. They hold the fifth overall pick from the Broncos in the Russell Wilson trade. So the, the Seahawks are headed in the right direction. I like the way that DK Metcalf played in this game. Metcalf, 10 receptions, over 130 receiving yards. Big-time players played well in big-time games. And this was an opportunity for Metcalf, and he, and he played well. He really, really played well for the Seahawks. And I thought the Seahawks were in this game up until halftime. At halftime of this game, the Seahawks were up 17 to 16. So they had did everything right up until halftime. But the 49ers, they proved why they are universally recognized as the best team in the NFC. Because I think even though the Eagles finished the season with a better record than the 49ers, most people believe the 49ers were the most complete football team in the NFL. In the second half, the 49ers outscored the Seahawks 25 to 6. So they, they, they put their foot on the gas pedal, and they never looked back. They never looked back in this game, and they ultimately got the job done, and they were the most dominant team over the weekend. I think it was the 49ers. The Bengals struggled with the Ravens. The Bills struggled with the Dolphins. Cowboys had a great performance against the Buccaneers, but the Buccaneers aren't very good at all. The Chargers-Jaguars game was a good game. Overall, so I think the 49ers had the best performance of the weekend on wildcard weekend. Overall, everybody go and follow wise guys on Twitter at wise guys underscore H, also on Facebook. Wise guys, we should follow wise guys on Instagram at these guys know sports. Come out the break, I'm going to discuss the Giants win over the Vikings. I'll be right back.
And welcome back to Wise Guys. These guys know sports. They're live on the Worldwide Sports Network. Everybody go and follow the Wise Guys on Twitter at Wise Guys underscore way. Toss on Facebook, Wise Guys. And we should have followed Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. Call them to the show, 513-203-8655. 513-203-8655 is the number to dial. Let's transition to the NFC and let's talk about the matchup in Minnesota. The Giants beat the Vikings 31 to 24 for the Giants. Daniel Jones had a great performance. He went 24 of 35. He threw for 301 passing yards, two touchdowns for the Vikings. Kirk Cousins, he didn't have a bad game. He went 31 of 20, 39. He threw for 273 passing yards, two touchdowns. Hawkinson for the Vikings at 10 receptions, 129 receiving yards. So, as I look at this game and I look at what took place, first and foremost, I got to give credit to Daniel Jones because Daniel Jones was great in this game for the New York Giants. In this game, Daniel Jones, this is comparing him to Kirk Cousins. Daniel Jones, Kirk Cousins completed 80% of his passes. Daniel Jones only completed 69% of his passes. But Daniel Jones had more passing yards than Kirk Cousins. And Daniel Jones, he had 78 rushing yards. And he had seven plays where he was able to pick up first downs for the Giants offense. I mean, the job that Daniel Jones did in this game running the football is something that we have to acknowledge in his game that we haven't seen before. Like, we know that he can run the football, but his ability in this game to take off and use his legs, I believe that was the biggest difference in the game for the Giants. Jones had 17 carries for 78 rushing yards. He averaged 4.6 yards per carry. He picked up seven first downs with his leg. This was the best performance I've ever seen from Daniel Jones. And I was very, very critical of Daniel Jones coming into the season. And I didn't believe in Daniel Jones. I, I really didn't. And Brian Dayball, he did a great job with Daniel Jones this year. He really, really did because I never was a believer in Daniel Jones. I mean, look at what Daniel Jones has done so far in his career. 2019, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. That probably was his best season of his career, his rookie year. But since then, 2020, 11 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. 2021, 10 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. This year, he had 15 and 5. So I thought his statistics improved, and I thought his overall game improved as a quarterback this year. And it's you you, you got to give credit to Brian Dayball. The same way we're giving Doug Peterson credit for Trevor Lawrence, because Trevor Lawrence is better than Daniel Jones is, we got to give Brian Dayball even more credit than Doug Peterson for being able to do what he's done with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones has been sensational, and I thought he was honestly the best player on the field in this game. And we know that on this Giants football team, Saquon Barkley, is the best player on their team overall. And Saquon Barkley in this game, he was quiet. Nine carries, 53 rushing yards, two touchdowns. But Daniel Jones was the best player on the field for the New York Giants. Now, 
Isaiah Hodgins, the receiver for the Giants, eight receptions, one five receiving yards, one touchdown. So he had an opportunity to help produce in this Giants offense. I'll pick the Giants to win this game as an upset. And I thought watching the game, offensively, the Giants just dominated that Vikings defense. I mean, the Vikings defense is pathetic. They are pathetic. Mind you, this is the same Vikings defense that made Mac Jones look like the second coming of Tom Brady on their Thanksgiving Day matchup. They made Daniel Jones earlier in the season. Daniel Jones had over 300 passing yards on that afternoon against that Vikings defense. That Vikings defense is terrible. That Vikings defense, they gave up 28 first downs to the Giants, 142 rushing yards to the Giants, 431 total yards overall to the Giants. So that Vikings defense is pathetic. And I look at that offense for the Vikings. Kirk Cousins didn't play bad for the Vikings. I mean, Kirk Cousins did not play bad. I'm going to get to his fourth down play here in a second. But the Vikings overall offensively, they didn't play bad. They went 271 passing yards, only 61 rushing yards. That's not good, but 332 yards of offense. That's what they had. But I thought also defensively, the Giants, they did a great job on Justin Jefferson. Great job on Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson, in the first quarter, he had five targets. The rest of the game, he had four targets. He had five receptions in the first quarter. The rest of the game, he had two receptions. He had 37 receiving yards in the first quarter. The rest of the game, he had 10 receiving yards. In the first quarter, Justin Jefferson had six yards after catch. The rest of the game, he had one yard after the catch. So we got to get some credit to that Giants defense. That Giants defense was sensational against Justin Jefferson. They did a great job. We know Justin Jefferson is the best player on this Vikings team. Defensive coordinator Wink Martindale for the Giants. He did a great job with his game plan against Justin Jefferson. Now, Hawkinson stepped up with his 10 receptions, over 100 yards receiving for the Vikings. And so he helped the Vikings move the football. But I thought the job that they did against Justin Jefferson honestly was the biggest difference in the game. Because as great as Daniel Jones played, the Vikings still had 24 points on the board. They still were in a position to score a touchdown and tie the game up and send this game to overtime. But I thought that Giants defense, they made plays when they had to. They, they, they definitely made plays when they had to. They didn't have any sacks in this game, but I thought they did a great job against Jefferson. And that's one of the recipes on how you beat the Vikings. That's a key. You have to slow down Justin Jefferson. Holding the Vikings to go to only 4 of 10 on third downs, that's impressive for that Giants defense. Very, very impressive. Now, what everyone's talking about in this game, uh, the, the biggest play of the game, this was fourth and eight. The Vikings were at the 48-yard line. They were at their own 48-yard line, down seven points. You need eight yards. Now, Kirk Cousins threw a three-yard pass to Hawkinson, and a lot of fans are like, what the hell was that, Kirk? Like, you need to give your team a chance by – Throwing the ball up and, and, and having someone maybe come down with the football. I agree. But Kirk Cousins is who he is and who he has always been. He's a good quarterback. 
but he's not a great quarterback. And I thought that was why Kirk Cousins rushed and didn't go through his progressions because Kirk Cousins doesn't have the ability to be a mobile quarterback like other star quarterbacks that we have in the NFL has. And I thought that's why he rushed that pass to Hawkinson because the Giants, they, they on that fourth down play, they got a rush on Kirk Cousins. And as soon as he saw the defender closing in on him, he threw the ball to Hawkinson, honestly, premature. And Hawkinson was nowhere near the first down marker. Nowhere near the first down marker. But I, if, you're, if you're Kirk Cousins in that moment, you have to identify where Justin Jefferson is. And even if you just throw the ball up, give Justin Jefferson a chance to catch the football to keep your season alive. You don't throw the ball three yards to Hawkinson and expect him to get a first down. It's fourth and eight. The game is on the line. The game is on the line. Now, Kirk Cousins, again, he had a good game overall. 31 of 39, 273 passing yards, two touchdowns in this game. Quarterback rating of 112.9. Kirk Cousins played well in this game. But Kirk Cousins is not elite. He's good. He's never been confused to be elite. And in that moment, that's why you see now why franchises, they're going after mobile quarterbacks like Josh Allen, like Lamar Jackson, like Patrick Mahomes, like Justin Herbert, because of moments like that fourth and eight play for the Vikings. As soon as Kirk Cousins saw the defender closing in on him, he knew he had to get rid of the football. I just think he should have made a better decision and just heaved the ball up. And maybe you get a pass interference call. Maybe you you have one of your players come down with the football and the Vikings drive continue. But to throw the, the out route to Hawkinson was the wrong play on that particular play at that moment in the game. You have to give your team a chance. You've got to give your team a chance. But Kirk Cousins was who he's always been. He didn't play bad in this game. But he didn't make the necessary plays for the Vikings to overcome their deficiencies. Kirk Cousins is a quarterback that needs things around him to be going right. The Vikings have to get better defensively if they want to be a contender in the NFC. They got to get better. That was their worst performance all season long. And they have had some bad performances defensively. But Sunday afternoon, that was probably the worst. Probably the worst. 31 points to Daniel Jones and the Giants. Daniel Jones and the Giants, they had 431 total yards of offense in this. This was an impressive win for the Giants. I picked the Giants with an upset coming into this game, and, and they proved me to be right. And I always thought that the Vikings were not contenders. I never thought they were contenders. I always thought they were non-contenders in the NFC. And now, with this loss, the Vikings have the most playoff losses in NFL history. Everybody go follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore H. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys at Instagram at These Guys No Sports Action Jam Pack Show. So Thursday, I'm going to have a great show. I'm going to preview all the NFL division around playoff matchups in the AFC, in the NFC. We got some great, great matchups in the AFC. We got Trevor Lawrence versus Patrick Mahomes. We got Joey B versus Josh Allen in the NFC. We got the Eagles and the Giants in Philly. That's going to be a great, great game. And in San Francisco, in the Bay, we got the Cowboys. We got the 49ers. We got Prescott. We got Purdy. So we still have some great matchups in the NFL 
division around playoffs. I'm going to talk about all that on Thursday night show. Everybody go and follow Wise Guys on Twitter at WiseGuys underscore Wakes. Also on Facebook, Wise Guys. And be sure to follow Wise Guys on Instagram at These Guys Know Sports. I'm Trey Larkins signing off the Worldwide Sports Network. Peace. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.